Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. I don't know how much longer the media will continue to buy into the lies of Team Murdoch. But on Tuesday, for the first time in a long time, I felt confident that our system will finally put an end to the judicial terrorism. Finally, after almost five years, I can see a light at the end of the tunnel. And I have real hope that Justice Toll will be the woman to save our system. My name is Mandy Matney. This is True Sunlight, a podcast exposing crime and corruption previously known as the Murdoch Murders Podcast. True Sunlight is a Luna Shark production written with journalist Liz Farrell. <sighs> Y'all. I just want to take a moment and give our team a big pat on the back because once again, we were right. Our sources were right. Our legal experts were right. Our instinct to not take the defense at their word no matter how many times we were called crazy, they were right. It's been a weird 134 days since Team Murdoch set fire to the justice system and led the media on a wild clerk of court chase, accusing Becky Hill of jury tampering and convincing the media that Alec Murdoch was all but guaranteed a new trial. Now, I will be the first to admit that this story is personal to me. Next month will mark five years for Liz and I in which we've dedicated thousands of hours of our free time and acres of our brain space and memory to investigating the Murdoch family and exposing the deep corruption poisoning our justice system in the Low Country. I'm not sure how this story couldn't be personal for someone in our shoes. But because it is so personal, I remember very vivid details of what was happening in my life during different moments of Murdoch madness. At the end of August, we took a trip to Europe to celebrate the last few years of building a company, starting two number one podcasts, and ultimately exposing a lot of bad people who I don't think would have ever been held accountable had it not been for us. I remember on the plane right there, I was excited about the next chapter beyond the Murdoch madness. We were starting to get deep into the Solomon story in Tennessee, and we felt confident about our plans to begin new investigations elsewhere. A couple days into our trip, I heard from a friend who heard from Team Murdoch that there were going to be bombshells in the Murdoch case in the following week. I was annoyed. Now what? Can't we just be done with them? A few days later, on September 5th, 
2023. Those alleged bombshells dropped when Dick and Jim held a press conference and claimed to have a stack of evidence proving that clerk of court Becky Hill tampered with the jury. I remember it perfectly. I was helping my friend get ready for her wedding in Florence, Italy when I heard the news. Just like it did on so many other Murdoch madness days in the past few years, my cell phone blew up. Immediately, I was getting messages like, did you hear what Becky Hill did? Could you believe Alec is getting a new trial? And then a lot of messages from our sweet fans saying, I don't buy what the media is saying, and I'm waiting to hear from y'all. Are these accusations from the defense legit? I didn't have a lot of time, but I did a Google search. And honestly, I had to do a few takes at what I was seeing. Here's David reading a few of those headlines from September 5th, 2023. Alec Murdoch alleges jury tampering demands new trial. The Greenville News. Alec Murdoch's lawyers' new bombshell claims about trial. Newsweek. Murdoch's lawyers seek new trial, saying clerk tampered with jury. New York Times. South Carolina Attorney General asks for state investigation into Alec Murdoch jury tampering allegations. CNN. My head started spinning. What? I have seen poor journalism throughout this saga, but it was clear that every single news outlet in the country that had been following this story was taking these allegations extremely seriously and lending all sorts of undeserved credibility to Team Murdoch, who had lied and lied to them and made them look foolish time and time again. The person I was two years ago would have ditched my friend and our plans for Florence that night to go hide in my hotel room and read the files line by line, tweeting my findings and writing a new podcast script for that week. I used to constantly feel like it was my obligation and my duty to correct the Murdoch misinformation until I realized how toxic that was to my own mental health. Thankfully, Liz, the voice of reason, quickly read the defense's filings and told me to calm down. She said she wasn't seeing anything to fret over, and whatever it was, we could deal with it when we got home. No more letting T. Murdoch ruining our good times. A few days later, David and I got some time to read the filings before we recorded a Cup of Justice episode. I remember looking at him and saying, is this really it? There is nothing here. Am I missing something? I say these things because no matter how often I am right, I still doubt myself. David, who just read the exact same pile of papers that I had read, agreed. I remember him saying, I cannot believe they've made such aggressive accusations with such little evidence. And the media just ran with it. For the next month, we were hit with several rounds of criticism and accused constantly of ignoring the Becky story because it doesn't fit our narrative, when in reality, we had more important things to cover, like Corey Fleming finally getting sentenced, and we needed time to dissect the documents that Dick and Jim had filed and talk to sources about what is really going on. And over those next several months, harassment against us escalated. People constantly called us Team Becky. They called us bad journalists for not being able to look at the facts. They accused us of losing our sources in the last year and claimed that we lost our way. It was hurtful. 
when all along our view stayed the same, no matter how many times people said that we were wrong and how many reporters made rude remarks about our take on this. We said that the allegations made against Becky's ethics should be separate from the allegations about jury tampering. We said all along that unless Dick and Jim revealed more evidence of jury tampering, the chances of a new trial for Alec Murdoch were very small. And in the past 134 days, Dick and Jim did not show any more evidence of jury tampering. What did happen, though, was piece by piece, Dick and Jim, working hand in hand with their friends in the media, attacked Becky Hill's credibility. The media and the defense managed to convince a sizable audience that the decision for Ellick getting a new trial would come down to Becky's credibility. They said this over and over again while chipping away at Becky Hill and her reputation. Oh, and Becky did make that easy. From her emails trying to be popular with the reporters to her book that was problematic to begin with, given her position as a public servant, and even more problematic now that she plagiarized a story from BBC that was accidentally emailed to her. Becky has not made this easy. Oh, and when Justice Toll was picked to preside over the jury tampering hearing, the same reporters who took part in convincing the public that Becky's tarnished credibility would weigh heavily against the prosecution, they all shouted what a win it was for T. Murdoch and how smooth his path to a retrial was looking. Oh, but a win it was not. Judge Toll was a wild card for us. We heard from several sources that she was hard to predict, but also they said it would be easy to know where she was headed right out of the gate. And boy, were those sources accurate. The biggest question heading into this hearing on Tuesday was how Judge Toll would interpret the law. If she would decide on Alec Murdoch's new trial based on evidence of Becky's actions with the jurors affecting the verdict, or based on evidence showing that Becky's communication with the jurors could have affected the verdict. It didn't take Judge Toll long at all to make a clear decision on that and set the tone for the entire hearing. A presumption is not the way to uh, examine this issue, but rather specific evidence about what was said, when it was said, and how it was perceived by the juror is what I believe is required uh, by State versus Green and other cases. We will get into this more, but wow. Justice Toll was incredibly decisive, confident, and clear throughout Tuesday's three-hour hearing. There was no guessing whatsoever in what she was thinking. As it involves questions to Ms. Hill, similarly, uh, this is not a time to explore every mistake or incorrect statement or false statement that ever has been made by this witness. I am the judge for the credibility of this witness for purposes of this new trial motion. I don't think it's necessary, nor do I think it's proper, to explore each and every uh, uh, impropriety uh, alleged to have been committed by the clerk. And she was not having whatever made-up mush Dick Harpootlian was serving. If they were friends, as several people suspected and there was historical evidence of, then Justice Toll swept that relationship out the door and focused on the facts of the case. If that makes sense. Uh, it doesn't make complete sense to me uh, because this is not the trial of Ms. Hill. 
uh, and uh, issues about uh, motive and so forth and the possible commission of crimes uh, are not what this inquiry is about. It is about her contact with any juror and what she said. I swear, I watched Dick shrink several inches as Justice Toll schooled him on the law. You're speaking to me about something uh, in a complete vacuum as far as I'm concerned, so I can't really uh, evaluate. Oh, and she was crystal clear that she was in command. I'm perfectly capable of, of evaluating what the jurors tell me, uh, and um, I'll do that. I think I'm also perfectly capable of evaluating the credibility of uh, Ms. Hill uh, and the jurors. Just like our Cup of Justice co-host Eric Bland told us what happened, Justice Toll took immediate control of her courtroom. For much of the status conference, the camera was mainly focused on Team Murdoch, on Dick, Jim, Ellick, Phil Barber, and all of their reddening faces. And when I say reddening, I am talking all the shades of red, right down to the purple hue that Dick's face started to take on toward the end. But we'll get to that. Justice Toll was presented to viewers from home, which included Mandy and me, as mostly a disembodied voice that was strong, commanding, and free from doubt. Every word she said was intentional and felt as solid as a brick, with each brick forming an even more formidable structure. So no matter how much Dick huffs and puffs throughout the next few weeks, he's not going to be able to blow her house down, that's for sure. From the get-go, Justice Toll set the agenda. She told the state and defense that they were here to discuss four matters. First was whether an evidentiary hearing was necessary. Even though she had already decided there would be a hearing, she wanted the arguments preserved for the record. The second was determining who had the burden of proof, what must be shown to meet that burden of proof, and what must be shown to contest that burden of proof. Third was hearing from both sides about the procedural timing issue in which the state believes that Dick and Jim knew about the allegations from the egg lady juror immediately after the trial, and therefore they're arguing that all of this is moot because Team Murdoch was required to bring these allegations to the court's attention within 10 days if they wanted to use it as a reason for a new trial. And then fourth and finally, and what Justice Toll called the heart and soul of her agenda, they were to discuss the guidelines for who would be a witness what evidence would be allowed, and who would do the questioning. So for both Mandy and me, this was our first time seeing Justice Toll in action, and we were both struck by how thorough she was and how clear. When someone is that thorough and that clear, you immediately know that person is aware of their own thoroughness and their own clarity, and by golly, you had better be listening with both ears. Meaning if she were your professor, you'd be sitting up straight and taking notes but not our Dick Harpootlian. When he stood up to address the court, one of the first things he said was this. If it pleases the court, Your Honor, you've, you've raised, and I assume you want to go in the order in which you just... Uh, I would. Okay. Um, you've raised a number, a number of legal issues from um, uh, whether we've waived, I mean, a number, I, just, I forget the order in which you just took them, but Mr. Griffin is going to... Um, address those. He said, I assume you want to address the issues in the order you very deliberately raised them, and I've already forgotten what that order was. So here's the thing about that. We all know that Justice Toll has a series of firsts on her resume. 
She became a lawyer at a time when she wasn't even legally allowed to be a juror as a woman. She was the first woman on the state Supreme Court and the first woman to become Chief Justice. She has spent her entire career having to contend with the buffoonery that the state's good old boy attorneys could and continue to get away with. This goes without saying, but there are very few, if any, women attorneys or attorneys of color who would ever think they could get away with standing in front of a South Carolina judge mere moments after being given instructions and essentially say, eh, it wasn't that important to me, so I've already forgotten what you said. The point being, Dick should have had a conversation with himself in the mirror before he got to the courtroom Tuesday morning and advised himself to be less of a Dick Harpootlian because his usual power wrangling wasn't going to work on her. And God, are we here for that. Like we said, throughout the proceedings, she put Dick on notice over and over. So let's talk about what Dick and Jim wanted and what they got. The first thing they wanted was to have a hearing. And they got that. Justice Toll has scheduled an evidentiary hearing for January 29th and possibly the 30th and 31st in Richland County Courthouse. The state argued against this, saying that a hearing wasn't necessary because A, Dick and Jim knew about these allegations right after the trial and therefore missed their window in terms of raising the issue, and B, the only deliberating juror that Dick and Jim have who is making allegations against Becky is Juror 630, and she doesn't cite Becky as the reason for her guilty verdict. She cites other jurors. And of course, the law is crystal clear in multiple cases. Uh, that that sort of internal debate, it's actually in Rule 606B, that that's not any sort of misconduct or anything that is an appropriate uh, venue or mechanism in order to attack the verdict. Yesterday during the status conference, we fielded a few questions in our live stream from Soak Up the Sun members about an argument that Jim Griffin was making in regards to having the hearing. Jim cited a case called Remmer and referred to the hearing as a Remmer hearing. Remmer v. United States is a case that would have essentially granted the defense wider latitude during this evidentiary hearing at the end of the month. This is important. It's one of the key things that Dick and Jim have wanted. Because remember what we said in the last episode. They have nothing. They do not have evidence of jury tampering. They wanted to use this hearing as a fishing expedition, and Justice Toll shut down any notion of that a few times. First, she told Jim this was not going to be a rummer hearing. So even though the hearing is the one win the defense can point to yesterday, it's far and away not the hearing they wanted. Here's what Justice Toll said. I don't think we need to go back and forth many times about this. I think I understand your position. Here's my position on the matter. First of all, this is not, I am not conducting a rumor hearing. Rumor is a 1954 decision of the United States Supreme Court that deals with the question of influence of the jury and a motion for a new trial on the basis of after-discovered evidence of that influence. I rely on the psychological decision of our Supreme Court offered by Justice Kittredge, State versus Green, and the Green decision specifically says that Rimmer is not the guidance uh, that South Carolina trial judges should look to in conducting hearings on after-discovered evidence. Now, that says nothing about what the burden of proof should be, uh, and I don't intend to say anything thereby. 
but I do intend to tell you right away that I will be relying on South Carolina's jurisprudence and uh, South Carolina's jurisprudence on specifically on, how, on what must be proved in a hearing of this nature and who bears the burden of that proof. All right. So right there, right there in that moment, Team Murdoch knew that their house of cards was falling to the ground. Justice Toll was essentially telling them, I'm going to use the case law that does not favor your position to make my decisions. The same case law they argued against being used in their pre-hearing briefs. Because don't forget, they needed the rules of the game to be totally in their favor in order to get anywhere. They were hoping that all that pre-hearing publicity, all the publicity that had nothing to do with the allegations of jury tampering, would help stir things up enough so that by the time they had their evidentiary hearing, witnesses, to include the jurors, might have become so influenced by the media, by the power of suggestion, and through the wild theories and accusations and misinformation being spread on social media, that when questioned, they might say something that would help Ellick's case. Team Murdoch wanted the court to use a standard of presumption where it's presumed that Becky's alleged statement about, quote, watching Ellick's body language could affect the verdict. Instead of the standard of prejudice in which the court wants to see evidence of an actual prejudicing of the jury. So the next big issue the defense lost on, the burden of proof. Team Murdoch's argument was that all they had to do was produce some evidence that supported their claim of jury tampering and that they had done that, that it was now up to the state to prove that jury tampering didn't occur, that the jurors' verdicts were not influenced by Becky Hill. Now, in making that argument, they basically cited one case, which we've talked about a few times on the show, State v. Cameron. Obviously, the state disagreed with that. And not only disagreed, but BCE came on the metaphorical stage with his metaphorical guitar ready to metaphorically shred. Big Creighton Energy came on strong by citing nine cases that supported the state's position, including State v. Cameron. He took the defense's own case law and sent it back to them as an origami swan. Um, and Cameron is a case that they rely on a lot. And I would say this about Cameron, that Cameron, of course, goes on to say that the mere fact of any official communication uh, does not necessarily uh, mean that the jury was prejudiced and went on again to do a prejudice analysis and a harmless uh, error analysis. So the case law in South Carolina, both from our state Supreme Court as well as our state court of appeals, it's clear, it's in sync, uh, it's uniform, that is the defendant's burden to show prejudice. Uh, and that's, of course, only after uh, there's a determination that any sort of extraneous influence occurred. And uh, that would be the state's position that it is the defendant's burden. Uh, and again, we can uh, address uh, at the appropriate time what the state's position is as to the order in which the evidence you're hearing should go. And here is Justice Toll delivering one of the biggest blows to the defense. I do not regard State versus Cameron as the guidance that needs to be used by me in making a determination about this case. Uh, it's a court of appeals case. Uh, since that case in 1993, there have been several cases, including Green, Oliver, and others, that very specifically talk about this issue of what the burden is. Uh, one a motion for a new trial on the basis of after-discovered evidence uh, that involves uh, 
tampering or alleged tampering with the jury. All those cases say that prejudice must be proved, not presumed. Uh, and it may very well be uh, that that is what's going to be shown. Uh, but for purposes of what the, uh, def the defendant must show as the case goes forward to an evidentiary hearing, the presumption simply by the contact, uh, which we don't have any sworn evidence about except in the uh, area of one juror at this time. A presumption is not the way to uh, examine this. You issue. have no idea how good it felt to hear Justice Toll say the thing that we've been screaming from the rooftops since this began. T. Murdoch has one affidavit from one juror, and it boils down to that. It also felt good to hear her say that there have been several cases since State v. Cameron, the case that the defense is almost fully relying on here, that deal with the issue of the burden of proof. Meaning, you might see news agencies or people online or talking heads who continue to carry the water for Dick and Jim by claiming that Justice Toll is stumping on Ellick's Sixth Amendment right to an impartial jury. But Justice Toll is very clearly saying here that subsequent case law supports her decision. They have not made any definitive showing that jury tampering occurred. They have one juror saying she felt pressured by her fellow members of the jury. Justice Toll not only told the defense, sorry, but your case law ain't casing for me, she gave them a good idea of just how restrictive the questioning of the jury would be. Like we said at the beginning of the show, she told them she expected to ask jurors three questions. What was said, when it was said, and how it was perceived by the juror. And with that, the defense fishing expedition was canceled. We'll be right back. Did you know socks, tees, and underwear are the three most requested clothing items in homeless shelters? Bombas knows, and they're doing something about it, making ridiculously comfortable versions of all three and donating one for every sold item. With all the clothing brands out there, it's nice to find some basics that don't just feel good, but do good too. Once you try Bombas, you'll know why so many people have purchased and donated so many. The comfort geniuses at Bombas work tirelessly to make your everyday things your favorite things. Personally, I love their running ankle socks for my morning treadmill desk walks. It's like there are little pillows under my feet. Trust me, so comfy. Ready to get comfy and give back? Head over to bombas.com slash Mandy and use code Mandy for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas, B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash Mandy and use code Mandy at checkout. After determining who had the burden of proof, the defense, Justice Toll then discussed her thoughts on the state's assertion that Dick and Jim missed their window of opportunity to make a motion to file for a new trial on after-discovered evidence because they discovered this so-called evidence when the egg lady juror obtained counsel. 
counsel, being Dick's bestie Joe McCullough, who sat behind the defense on Tuesday, along with TikTok Lori, by his side for some reason. Justice Toll informed the defense that she was going to conduct a hearing to determine when they found out about the alleged contact between Becky and the jurors. Luna Shark reporter Beth Braden contacted First Amendment attorney and media liaison for this hearing, Jay Bender, to ask whether Justice Toll intended to hold this hearing separate and apart from the January 29th hearing. We were told that she will handle all matters in this case, including this one, at that time. Now, for the heart and soul part of the status conference. This is where things got gnarly for old Dick and Jim. Remember, at this point in the proceeding, they already know they've lost big time. Justice Toll had already told them that the rules of the game were not going to be the rules they were not just hoping for, but depending on. She was about to call their bluff in an epic way. So another question we got from Soak Up The Sun members during our live stream chat on Tuesday was about Dick's fixation with SLED's MOIs. I want to take a quick second to explain that issue before we get into who is testifying and how. Team Murdoch wants to question the jurors and Becky, and if they can't question them, they want to be able to provide questions to the judge for her to ask them. Remember the perfectly capable quote from the beginning of the show? That's when Justice Toll reminded Dick that she has got this. As a part of its investigation into jury tampering allegations, SLED provided the Attorney General's Office with Memoranda of Investigation, or MOIs. They are summaries of what they found. Summaries of interviews, summaries of facts, etc. Dick and Jim contend that those MOIs are written in such a way that they are favorable to the state and that because of that, the judge cannot rely solely on them when determining what to ask the witnesses. Really, what they want is for the record to reflect anything that makes Becky look bad. According to their pre-hearing brief filed earlier this month, they specifically want to know what the Barnwell Clerk of Court, Rhonda McKelveen, told investigators. Becky, who calls Rhonda one of her closest friends in her book, enlisted Rhonda's help during the trial. Here is David with what the defense wrote about Rhonda. Mr. Murdoch also plans to call Rhonda McKelveen, the Barnwell clerk of court who assisted at the trial. The state presumably would object to her for the same reason Mr. Murdoch objects to calling persons who were not in the jury room to say they never heard something allegedly said in the jury room. She was not in the jury room. Mr. Murdoch, however, believes, based on her SLED interview, that she will corroborate expected juror testimony about Ms. Hill's statements because she will testify that Ms. Hill made substantively identical statements to her during trial, and because she received several complaints from court staff about Ms. Hill having inappropriate and excessive contacts with jurors. She, therefore, may have personal knowledge of facts, probative of whether Ms. Hill made the statements jurors say she made. If the state objects to her testimony, Mr. Murdoch would ask the court to review her video-recorded interview with SLED and decide for itself whether her testimony would assist the court as fact-finder. If the court does so, however, it is important to review the video recording of her entire interview and not the SLED memorandum summarizing it.
In their list of expected exhibits, Team Murdoch listed two things, the affidavits of jurors 630 and 785, aka the Egg Lady, in this interview. That is how critical they think this interview is to their case. But here is the thing. Now that Justice Toll has put the burden of proof on the defense, and now that she has said that the prejudice must be proven, meaning show that a juror felt pressured by Becky to change their verdict, it dramatically changes the playing field for Team Murdoch. And that should have been clear to Dick at this part of the hearing. But he's Dick. So even though this is when he started to become the incredibly shrinking Dick Harpootlian, he forged on ahead, trying to get every one of his war toys on the field. Now, we figured out that Dick has a tell. When he's losing an argument, he'll say, we'll do that thing later, or that's fine. Here, while politely suggesting that he and Jim could submit questions to the judge so that she doesn't have to rely on the MOIs, he subconsciously admits defeat while telling on himself, meaning he admits they have nothing and she has left them with nothing. Now, if your honor is going to be very restrictive and, and, and ask, did the court communicate something to you and did it affect your decision. I guess that's um, what we're giving your honor uh, when you're following state versus green. Um, if you're going to say that, uh, ask those questions. Um, I mean, there's some of these jurors who indicated they heard the court say uh, what the, uh, the, 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 uh, the juror that gave the affidavit for us um, say, um, and I think they're going to say it didn't affect them. Um, which is fine. This is the part in the Dick documentary where the narrator would say, it was not fine. So Dick admits to the judge that they don't got it, but that's okay because they have one juror and in Team Murdoch's opinion anyway, they only need the one. Except they don't have that juror. We'll keep saying this until it hurts. Juror 630 does not say she was affected by Becky. In fact, let's take a second to talk about what she did say. In line two of her affidavit, Juror 630 says that Becky, quote, told the jury, quote, not to be fooled. She says the jury. Becky told the jury, but according to the written statements provided to SLED, no juror corroborates that. In line three, she says again that Becky, quote, told the jury to, quote, watch him closely. Now, no juror corroborates that, again, according to the statements that have been made public, but a few jurors noted that Becky had advised them generally to pay attention, and one juror noted that they remember Becky saying to pay attention to Alex's body language. And again, no juror says that their verdict was influenced by these comments. But it's interesting to note that juror 630 doesn't say, Becky said this to me, but rather to the jury as a whole, and no one remembers being told, quote, not to be fooled or, quote, watch him closely. Finally, in line 10 of her affidavit, juror 630 says, quote, I had questions about Mr. Murdoch's guilt, but voted guilty because I felt pressured by the other jurors. Not only is this evidence of what the state has been saying about Juror 630 being influenced by other jurors, it shows that even if Becky said what Juror 630 says she heard, Juror 630 was not affected by it because she went into those deliberations with questions about his guilt. Meaning, Becky didn't change her mind before Juror 630 went into that room. 
Juror 630 says it right there, herself. Okay, so one of the other major components of Team Murdoch's strategy is they want to impeach Becky's character. There is this one part where Dick oh so casually acts like Team Murdoch has merely been a witness to the ongoing demolition of Becky's reputation. And this is another Dick's strategy, by the way. He tells the judge what he's not going to do as a way of getting derogatory information about his opponent on the record. So uh, we think that her, the examination of the court should be wide open. Uh, and we think that the um, exhibits we would use to impeach her, uh, we would attempt to keep it relevant to the specific issues in this case. I mean, her son has been indicted, for instance, her son has been indicted for, for uh, wiretapping. There seems to be some inference, at least what we read in the, in the papers, we don't have any specific knowledge, that she was aware of that and that wiretapping was in relation to some ethics complaint about her. That's not relevant. We're not going to ask her about it. <laughs> now, um, we're continuing to, to, to examine whether or not there is some connection there, and we're, we're investigating that. But at this point, I would tell you, that's not where we're going. He also uses this oh-so-casual approach to bringing up the egg lady and the Facebook post. Um, where, we, where we are going, by way of example, is um, we have been furnished an email that she, she got on February 24th from somebody, uh, which was a, a photo, uh, a screenshot of a, a uh, looks like a posting on some sort of a Facebook page where the ex-husband of a juror, not the ex-lady, uh, alleges that his ex-wife has been talking about the case and she's going to fall vote guilty because she hates men. Now, we, we know she got it. We know she got it on February 24th. So this is interesting. It's the first time we've heard anything about this February 24th email. We had reporter Beth Braden look through Becky's emails, the ones that were provided in those two data dumps. And because those emails are just emails that Becky sent, it was not among them. What Dick seems to be saying here is that Becky received notice of this Facebook post from a third party, and that she waited three days to say something, and that when she did finally say something, she took credit for finding the post. What Dick didn't say to Justice Toll is that February 24th was a Friday, and that three days after that was a Monday, meaning Becky doesn't so much appear to have sat on it, she appears to have experienced what we in the non-good old boy lawyer community where things get twisted would call a normal weekend. At any rate, Dick was dropping these little bombs about Becky in the hopes of persuading the judge to allow Team Murdoch to question Becky freely and not have limits put on it. He told Justice Toll that he wanted to treat Becky as a hostile witness, which would allow him to ask her leading questions. By the way, since we're on the topic of the egg lady, Dick repeatedly referred to her as just that, the egg lady juror, which is highly unprofessional, but likely a calculated move on his part. For the court record, she is juror 785, but in the press and on social media became known as the egg lady juror because after getting dismissed from the jury by Judge Newman, she asked for somebody to retrieve a dozen eggs that another juror had brought in for her and her fellow members of the jury. Um, I'm trying to make sure I understand your, what you just ruled. Are you ruling that we cannot call the alternate juror 
form the so-called egg lady to corroborate what was said to the sitting jurors since they were all told this at the same time. The fact that Dick continued to use that nomenclature for her was likely purposeful because of how he wants the headlines to go. If he calls her Juror 785, the judge will fully understand to whom he is referring to, but he runs the risk of the media not recognizing that he is talking about the egg lady. Calling her the egg lady sure does seem like a dog whistle to his friends in the media, or at least shows how much Team Murdoch's case relies on this being a big old circus. Another issue Dick raised was about how the jurors would be questioned. The jurors, by the way, are going to be subpoenaed and will appear in open court. Their names will not be used. Media will be barred from photographing them, and they will likely be referred to by new numbers to further protect them from being identified. And by jurors, we mean not the egg lady and not alternate juror 741. Because again, like we have been saying, they didn't render verdicts, so they do not factor into this. Something that Justice Toll made very clear on Tuesday. Dick seemed very interested in leaving open the possibility that jurors could be questioned about what went on during deliberation if he and Jim are able to prove what Becky said to the jurors. And Justice Toll was like, no. That is not what the rule says. So he asked again, again. She was like, no, that is not the rule. I think it's very important to understand that no one, not myself or anyone else, is going to be asking the juror about the specifics of their deliberation. The rule is quite clear about that. Okay. Again, I'm the one who questioning at this point in our Yes, yes. And I'm trying to perceive what you all are asking, and I'm going to go to the state and see what their reaction is to what you said. Thank you, Ron. After Dick sat down, Big Creighton Energy came on strong the way Big Creighton Energy does. Speaking for nearly 10 minutes, Creighton told the court that he agreed with the judge's interpretation of the rule. After we published last week's episode, the defense submitted a revised pre-hearing brief adding Creighton Waters and his paralegal Carly Jewell to the witness list. The defense contends that Becky favored the state during the trial and as evidence, they are using forwarded emails from Becky to the prosecution. The emails are from people who were watching the trial asking her to forward these emails to Creighton. According to Creighton on Tuesday, the state and the defense traded all correspondence they received from Becky during the trial, and lo and behold, the defense was also receiving information from Becky, meaning she wasn't just favoring the state, as they claim. Additionally, Creighton put this on the record. The only juror that we have is the one who filed the affidavit, that's 630, and even she, or that person only said uh, that uh, she, uh, you know, eventually voted guilty because she felt pressured by the other jurors, did not even mention uh, any external impact. And so unless she's going to change her story, that is what was in her affidavit. Unless she is going to change her story. That's a very important point moving forward, by the way. Now that the defense has been hobbled and told to stick to the facts, what do they have? The jurors are locked in by their statements. If they change their stories on January 29th, there goes their credibility. Not to mention, each one of those jurors was polled by Judge Newman. They already attested to their verdict being impartially theirs. The jurors have little wiggle room for changing what they have already said. 
Okay, so Creighton's flawless 10 minutes in front of the judge enraged Dick. It was clear he had been holding it together as best as he could thus far. When Justice Toll asked him if he would like to reply, here is how that went. 404, and I find it somewhat ironic uh, state is quoting Rule 404, Your Honor. One of the exceptions to 404, I know, is to be surprising to Mr. Waters, is motive, as if he's never heard that before. He told me this morning one of the assistants that worked for Ms. Hill during this trial was told by Ms. Hill during the trial that a guilty verdict would be good for sales of the book. Motive, selling books. So we believe we should be able to get into that. We should be able to ask Ms. Hill about it, if she denies it, to call that witness, that assistant, and have her testify that she was told that. I mean, why would a clerk do what we believe she did, we think is important for your honor, in terms of credibility and context? That's number one. It's super trippy to hear Dick Harpootlian, of all people, talk about the importance of credibility. So this book sales thing. We've talked about this before, but in no way would any rational person believe the argument that a guilty verdict would be better for book sales of a self-published book by a small town clerk of court, a job most people don't understand or even know exists, than a not guilty verdict would have. But here Dick is beating that drum again. And here Justice Toll shuts him down. I can tell you that I am very, very reluctant to turn this hearing about juror contact into a wholesale exploration of every uh, piece of conduct uh, by the clerk alleged to have been improper on its own, uh, indicative of her or characteristics of personality or anything of that nature. This is a very focused inquiry that deals with this jury and what impact uh, contact any had on this jury. So I am very mindful of the limited nature of it. As I say, I'm not excluding submission in advance of information that would take the questions beyond the limited questions I initially indicated. But I will be very hesitant about any of those questions as it involves propounding those questions to the jury. As it involves questions to Ms. Hill, similarly, uh, this is not a time to explore every mistake or incorrect statement or false statement that ever has been made by this witness. I am the judge for the credibility of this witness for purposes of this new trial motion. I don't think it's necessary, nor do I think it's proper, to explore each and every uh, impropriety uh, alleged to have been committed by the clerk. She said what she said. We're narrowing the scope, and we're not going to handle the case the way Team Murdoch wants it to be handled. So our legal sources have pointed out that a lot of what Dick was doing in his arguments was preparing for a future appeal of Justice Toll's decision if she ends up denying them a new trial. In limiting the scope of the evidentiary hearing, she's limiting what they can bring up, not just in terms of who gets questioned 
and who does the questioning, but in terms of the timeline. She's limiting them to the six weeks of trial. Anything Becky did outside of that time frame is not considered material unless it relates directly to allegations of the jury tampering, meaning the ethics complaints, the books, all of it is not going to be allowed. In response to that, Dick wanted to offer a proffer, a written record of the allegations against Becky that they want to raise and that the judge won't allow. Here's how Justice Toll responded to that. But I will put certain uh, limitations on just a wholesale exploration of every uh, problematic piece of conduct, uh, ethical, dealings with the county uh, and so forth. This is a very focused inquiry about this jury and its ability to render the verdict it rendered in an impartial manner. So I say that to tell you that when the clerk is offered, and I think the clerk is going to have to be offered as a witness, the whole allegation revolves around uh, the contention that the clerk made contact with the jury about matters material to their verdict, that that contact was improper, and, and that it impacted their verdict. Uh, there's a whole lot more that uh, Mr. Harkootling has indicated he'd like to explore that I regard as totally extraneous to the inquiry that we maintain. I'm not going to allow those questions uh, to be asked by way of proffer and then have the clerk answer those questions and have that be the proffer, although I consider them irrelevant questions. We're not going to handle the case in that way. Totally extraneous to the inquiry. Irrelevant questions. These are not phrases that are music to Team Murdoch's ears. Not only was Justice Toll saying, I'm going to limit what you can ask in court, I'm going to limit what you say in your proffer. And then she called them out for their antics. But I also think the record of the case is not to be used as a platform to explore each and every fault of each and every witness, whether it be the juror or the clerk. And I'm not going to have the hate hearing conducted in that manner. I think there are other ways of preserving topics that I uh, rule should not be pursued than having uh, those questions asked and answered, even though I rule that they are not proper in the hearing. So I hope that explains kind of where I am on the subject of uh, how questions are asked. And even after that, Dick still pressed on with his quest to destroy Becky, and Justice Toll was not having it. After Justice Toll allowed the room to take a 20-minute break, Dick came back with more, again admitting they have nothing. Please, Court, Your Honor, just a couple of issues. One, we don't know who we're going to call to impeach Ms. Hill, because um, we don't know what she's going to say. Um, so it's difficult for us. I mean, we at, at um, once she testifies at that point, we say we'd like to call so and so and so and so and such and such and such and such. Number one. Uh, so it or maybe no one. I mean, she may concede every issue we have. For instance, she did tell, according to the state, she did tell one of her assistants, one of the people helping her, um, 
you know, I hope he's found guilty because it'll help book sales. Now, um, I, I hope that's the last time you're going to repeat that until uh, I ask for it again, Mr. Harpootman. Uh, I've told you that I, I can't imagine a situation in which I would go that far. So a statement like that, uh, and she may well have said it, uh, if it goes to anything I'm asked to consider, it would be to her credibility. Uh, and I'll evaluate whether I think that's from even proper to ask, but uh, let's move on from that. And Dick still didn't drop it. He told the judge, if Becky did what they're accusing her of, then it's a crime, and so they have to get to the why of that. That's when this exchange happened. If that makes sense. Uh, it doesn't make complete sense to me, uh, because this is not the trial of Ms. Hill. Uh, and uh, issues about uh, motive and so forth and the possible commission of crimes uh, are not what this inquiry is about. It is about her contact with any of the jurors and what she said. Uh, so uh, I, I will be trading very carefully with uh, a good deal of what you say about uh, uh, what you might or might not ask. So one last thing about Tuesday's status conference that's important. Even though Justice Toll effectively ruined Dick and Jim's dastardly plans to trick the system into allowing Illich to have a new trial, she did so artfully and according to the law. She was clear about her reasoning, she offered support for her opinions, and she was circumspect. She not only ruled on the matters in front of her, but on matters that may come out of any future appeal, meaning she didn't shut them down completely on everything. She quite consciously left open the possibility that she might change her mind if the defense is able to provide more evidence than they have thus far. So the biggest question right now is what will Dick and Jim do next? On our live stream chat with Soak Up The Sun members, we joked that the only solution for them moving forward would be to withdraw their motion for a new trial because it's quite possible that after the jurors testify, the hearing is over. Now, do we believe that will happen? No. We believe Dick and Jim are already implementing their plan B through the media by introducing more misdirection. For instance, a state news agency posted what appeared to be sled evidence from the jury tampering investigation, presenting it as somehow pro-defense. That evidence was under a protective order issued by Justice Toll, meaning how'd they get that? And what motive lies behind that leak? On Tuesday, the defense also filed its reply to the state's pre-hearing brief. Their reply is a reiteration of previous points, but presented in a much more tabloidy manner. It's filled with accusations stated as fact and glib arguments that sound like a high schooler wrote them, frankly. And the reply continues to focus on impeaching Becky's character in a broad way that goes outside the scope that Justice Toll has now set for them. One thing we might expect to see at this point is attempts to delay the proceedings, but we're not sure how far Team Murdoch can get with that, considering what we said earlier about huffing and puffing and not being able to blow Justice Toll's house down. And we'll be right back.
If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. As pleasantly surprised I was to see Gene Toll's poetic destruction of Team Murdoch's chance of a new trial, I was equally disappointed to see the headlines that covered the hearing. Headlines matter. Any reporter who takes journalism seriously understands how important they are, especially in a world of social media scrolling and a lot of news tucked behind paywalls. Headlines should not be misleading, meaning reporters writing their headlines should expect a majority of people to not click on their stories. And headlines should be written in a way that the audience takeaway from just the headline alone is accurate. When I worked for McClatchy, we were taught to use the most aggressive form of the truth in our headlines to generate more clicks for the company. In this case has been an example of how that goes wrong and how dangerous that practice is because of how often it leads to widespread misinformation. A quick case in point of that being a bad strategy, see reporter Anjanette Levy's long crime pre-hearing story titled, She Pees in Every Corner of the Courtroom, Fireworks Expected at Alec Murdoch New Trial Status Conference. That aggressive quote, of course, came from Cup of Justice and was taken completely completely out of context. It was originally a dick quote repeated by Eric Bland, by the way, which our fans understand, and I don't feel like we need to explain how that aggressive form of the truth was wildly misleading. The thing was, there were fireworks on Tuesday, but apparently not the fireworks that mainstream media reporters wanted. The fireworks were from Justice Toll calling out Dick and Jim's nonsense and making them look like rookie attorneys who had no clue what they were doing. Silly me, I was thinking I would see just a few reporters, at least, admit that they misled their audience with their months of destroy Becky and get Alec Murdoch a new trial coverage. Maybe, I thought, they finally realized that the whispers from Dick and Jim to write certain stories in exchange for tips, leaks, and access weren't worth it. Because maybe they realized that they look foolish and untrustworthy after all of that hype panned out to be nothing. But alas, I was wrong again. The headlines yesterday were confirmation. Nothing has changed for the media. They will continue to cover this case for clicks and nothing else. Just from yesterday's headline of the status conference alone, you would think it focused primarily on Becky and her bad deeds. Alec Murdoch's lawyer accuses court clerk of jury tampering to boost book sales. NBC. Murdoch clerk said guilty verdict would boost her book sales. Defense lawyers. Daily Beast. Judge orders clerk of court Becky Hill to testify in Alec Murdoch's bid for new trial. The state. Alec Murdoch in court as judge orders Becky Hill to be subpoenaed. Court TV. It's like the media so desperately wants the public takedown of Becky Hill to grant Alec Murdoch a new trial. 
So honestly, they don't have to find another story that people click on. They want the new trial to happen to make their jobs easier, no matter what it does to our justice system, no matter what it means for the victims of Alec Murdoch. It's like they've been trying to make Becky Hill a thing when it comes to Alec's chances of a new trial. They still want to exaggerate her role to justify their previous coverage. As Justice Toll said, this is not the trial of Becky Hill. The media was unfortunately duped again into thinking it would be. But even after one of the brightest and most respected legal minds in our state made it clear that those shenanigans would not be happening, the media still favors the defense in their headlines. And side note, I hope that we get answers for what Becky did in her position of clerk of court. I hope that the media, who covered every step of her downfall when they were hopeful of it bringing a new trial for Alec Murdoch, I hope that they still care about her being held accountable aside from that. I hope that she is held accountable if she did something illegal. And I hope it doesn't just fizzle out because her downfall is no longer linked to Alec Murdoch's escape plan. The scary thing is, we don't know what Dick and Jim will do next, but we do know whatever wild and crazy moves they make, those same reporters who have been fooled and embarrassed time and time again will legitimize the defense with their headlines and their slanted articles. The chaos will continue as long as the media, and frankly, the South Carolina Supreme Court allows these attorneys to lie and deceive the public on behalf of a murderer. Think about the amount of taxpayer-funded time and resources that have been sucked up by these allegations of jury tampering that aren't at all supported by evidence. Think about the media space, the TV time, the newspaper stories, podcasts, etc., etc., that have been wasted on dissecting Dick and Jim's nonsensical journey to get their client, a murderer, liar, and thief, out of prison. And by the way, deceiving the public is not a lawyer's duty. I don't regret the last four months covering this case because we were in the minority view all along. And without us shouting from the rooftops that Becky's bad credibility does not equal a new trial, I don't want to think about where they would have spun the narrative had we not been there. I'm angry about the time that it wasted. I am angry about the cases like Stephen Smith's that didn't get the attention they deserve because of this monster. Alec Murdoch, and I worry what will be next if this long shot plan of theirs fails like the others did. Also, I worry about the amount of dedication Alec Murdoch's legal team spins on the court of opinion alone. I worry that maybe there's a long game in mind that we haven't thought about before. However, after Tuesday, I felt hopeful more so than ever that T. Murdoch's reign of judicial terror will end soon and that Justice Toll just might be the woman to finish the job. Stay tuned, stay pesky, and stay in the sunlight. True Sunlight is a Luna Shark production created by me, Mandy Matney, and co-hosted by journalist Liz Farrell. Learn more about our mission and membership at lunasharkmedia.com. Interruptions provided by Luna and Joe Pesky.